Thank you, Bill, and good job, everybody, for, for the, you know, four of you who knew it. You sounded great, and the rest of you sounded just perfectly, you know, cromulent. It sounded it was perfectly fine, really, 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 really well attempted. No, I'm serious. It was really good because it's a tough thing to just cold turkey sing a brand new song, but after the first verse, you kind of get a feel for the flow of it, and then by the third verse, it sounded like we all knew it, you know, so that's great. Hopefully, hopefully, we can work that into our repertoire, and we can sing that, you know, on the regular. I, I didn't grow up. Um, singing that song, but at the Forest Hill Congregation where I was in preaching school and where I was the associate minister, we sang that song on a semi-regular basis, and an audience about this size too, um, and there's just a moment, you know, where it gets really high and it gets low and there's an echo part. It's got a little bit of everything, but the most part that's special about it is it has a great message, and this message behind the song is our sermon this morning. There is a sea in the Galilee region, whose uh, existence is due to the mountains of Galilee from that area, the streams of which melt from the glacial tops and trickle down into a body of water that is known as the Sea of Galilee, a critical, life-bringing body of water, the, the, um, the lifeblood of that region in terms of a water supply. And from the great and beautiful Sea of Galilee, which draws in and takes so much water to provide that great body, from it flows the Jordan River. And the Jordan River, of course, is hugely important to the region, culturally, geographically, and spiritually. And biblically, you can't read the Bible without coming across important moments that involve the Jordan River. It was mentioned in passing, Dustin mentioned it, the 12 stones that were placed uh, to memorialize the crossing into the promised land. They crossed the Jordan River. God's, God opened the river the way he did the Nile earlier to allow the people to cross over. And they placed the stones as a memorial of it. Symbolic, hugely important. Many baptisms happened there. John did most of his ministry around baptizing people in the Jordan. Our master was baptized there. So that river, is its existence is owed to the giving of water from the Sea of Galilee. And that Jordan River itself flows into another body of water, a huge, very um, uh, famous body of water, and certainly from its silhouette, from just it's a picture, you could see it and you can know if you know that region what that body of water is. But that body of water is the Dead Sea, a name which it has earned for its reputation. It is... Also, a famous body of water geographically, scientifically, it is famous culturally, and it is famous religiously and biblically as well. But that Dead Sea, unlike the Sea of Galilee, which produces and provides and gives the Jordan to the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea gives nothing. The Dead Sea just takes and lies dead. And that's the point of the song. That's the first verse, the Galilee, the second verse, the Dead Sea. But then really, the song takes on a greater significance when you hit verse 3. As Bill said, pay attention to verse 3 because verse 3 takes the metaphor of those two seas and it says, now which will you be? Will you be a sea that takes and gives or one which just takes and takes and takes? Because the sea which just takes is a sea which is dead. Now having said all that, I have a question for you this morning. When's a good time to talk about giving? When do you think, if I was to poll the church, when's a good time for the preacher to talk about giving? I say the preacher, I mean your local evangelist or evangelists. 
Which is a, when is a good time for us to talk to you people about your contribution? You tell me, when's a good time? I don't mean, when should we bring in a, a hitman? When should we bring in a ringer? When should we bring in some outside speaker? Because there are a lot of congregations that do that. They won't have, the local preacher won't dare get up and talk about giving. They'll hire somebody who speaks on that thing you know, for, for a profession. I remember when I was in preaching school, there was a, a famous gospel preacher, especially famous east of the Mississippi, named V.P. Black. Amazing, powerful speaker who specialized, of all things, on the subject of contribution, giving. Not just giving in a general sense, but no, he zeroed in on write the check, put it in the plate, put it in the basket, giving. And he wrote great material, great Bible class material, great books. I have them in my office. And I, got to, I was privileged to hear him preach. He was pushing, if not exceeding, 90 years old. But he had just as much fire and vigor as a 25-year-old man. Well, I could have brought him. I think he's passed away to his reward now. But you could bring in somebody like a VP Black. We could bring in a ringer to come in here. And he could, he could shake the fist. And he could scold. And he could do all those things. But you don't need that, North Heights. You don't need that. You don't need somebody to wag a fist at you. You don't need somebody to scold you. That's not what this sermon is going to be. That's not the point of this sermon. But even if it was, you wouldn't want that. You would want me or Alex or Sean or one of your elders to preach that sermon. You might not think you would, but you would because you would want somebody who knows you, who understands you, who's been there with you, who knows what it's like to live in Batesville when gas is arm and leg on the sign right now, who can appreciate the financial circumstances that we have here. You don't want somebody just outside coming in, just shouting at you for 30 minutes. You want somebody who knows you, who can talk to you about it. And I hope that's what we're going to accomplish this morning. But I want to begin with kind of a, a general principle, just kind of a basic uh, rule of thumb, if you will. This 80-20, 20-80% uh, ratio has been floating around for decades. I, I, I heard it when I was in preaching school. That was almost 20 years ago now. Um, and it was, it was said to me then as though it was already well established. I'm pretty sure it didn't come from a religious background. I'm pretty sure it came from some business chart somewhere. But the idea is, when applied to contribution in a congregation, the idea is if you take the whole cumulative collective congregation uh, and their contribution that is made, 80% of the members are giving 20% of that money. And 20% of the members are giving 80% of that money. And again, I don't think that ratio, that whoever did the math, whoever you know, did the, the figuring, did that for the purposes of a congregation. I'm pretty sure it came from a business mindset. But that kind of general idea, whenever you get 100 people together and they have to work in a task, generally speaking, 20% of the people are going to do 80% of the work and 80% do 20%. I could talk to you about that for half an hour, and I could find ways to scold and ways to wag a finger, and, but that's not constructive. That's not helpful. That doesn't do anything but just engender bitterness. That's not what we're here for. When's a good time to talk about giving? What's a good way to talk about giving? I want to draw your attention to a little window of time of 11 weeks a couple of years ago. A window of time that began in March and ended in May. March 22nd and ended May 31st. 11 Sundays took place in this window of time. Do you know what was so significant about these 11 Sundays. These were the 11 Sundays in which there was no worship here at this congregational building. 
when the brethren of the North Heights Church of Christ continued to, quote, meet, but we did not meet. We didn't meet. We were all of us in our own homes, some of us in our own pajamas, and the preacher was speaking from a television screen. The singing was blasting through your speakers, but I doubt, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I bet you weren't singing as vigorously in your house as you do here in this, in this auditorium. And the preacher, oh, Ralph agrees. And the preacher was preaching from your TV screen, but I doubt you were paying attention quite as focused as you were when you're here, where I can look at you and know when you're not paying attention and, you know, stare at you until you do. It's not the same thing. And I'll bet when there was a prayer, you, you could not, you just simply were not able to put as much focus on it as you are when you're here, and we're all of us collectively bowing our heads and closing our eyes. You can feel the vibe of people talking to their God in heaven. Nevertheless, in that 11-week period when we were here, do you know how many of those 11 Sundays our contribution, which we still collected week after week because the work of this church did not stop, the ministries of this church did not go unsupported, and the people in this community did not stop receiving help from the kingdom in this community. Do you know how many of those 11 Sundays we went below our necessary minimum budget? You know how many? Actually, you're close, Ralph. It was two. But I'm going to come back because it's going, to, it's going to level out to better than zero in just a second. But that's a good thought. Two out of 11 times did we come in below our budget. Nine out of 11 times we met or, as we'll see in a minute, exceeded our budget. I think that's worthy of praise. And as the preacher, it's my job, or Alex's job when he's up here as well, to reprove, that's, that's negative, rebuke that's negative and exhort and to find the opportunities to say well done because i could tell you horror stories from congregations smaller than ours as big as ours and bigger than ours who are struggling dwindling or dead now because the pandemic killed them and there are still good faithful brethren who will belong to those congregations that are worshiping in other places but they're not worshiping at that place where they used to be they had to close their doors because they were already hanging on by a thread and when the people weren't gathered there to take up a collection to put money in a hat they couldn't pay the bills they had to close the doors i could tell you those horror stories instead i'm not here to criticize i'm here to praise you because nine of eleven times when we weren't even in this building we met or exceeded our budget in fact, if we talk about our budget, you work back just several years just to look at a picture. Look at how our contribution has increased, necessitating an increase in our budget, because as the contribution increases, we find more opportunities to help with the money that's coming in. In 2018, our average contribution and budget was about 9000 In 2019, 10000 In 2020, even in the middle of a pandemic, when if you were looking at the numbers on a board, our membership was cut significantly down, and we're only still, still trying to crawl back to where we were before. Yet, nevertheless, our average contribution increased year over year to 10.5. The following year to 11, and here we are this year. We're only almost halfway done with the year, but on average, our weekly contribution is $12,000. So I want to go back to the question. When's a good time to talk about giving? Because it's been my experience, both person and just observation, that many congregations and many preachers won't talk about giving until they have to talk about giving. 
until there's a panic, until there's a need, until there's a worry, until there's a freak out, and we're about to shut off the lights and shut the doors. We've got to hurry and scrounge up the money. We've got to hurry and have a sermon about giving. That is not the time to talk about giving. It makes you look desperate. It makes you look panicked. It makes you look like you love more, money more than Jesus. It makes you look like you don't have any faith or trust in Jesus. And it's really because the preacher and the church and the eldership and everybody else didn't do their job in the weeks before the panic hit. In the weeks before, there was a bad situation. In my opinion, the time to talk about giving is when the giving is good. And, as is always the case, because it's not always the case that the giving is good, but it's always the case that there is room for improvement. And it's just much easier to swallow the sermons about the improvement we can do when the general vibe is a positive one. So I begin with praise. The giving is good, but is there room for improvement? Go back to that 11-week stretch, the, the dark ages that we experienced a couple of years ago. And in that 11-week stretch, as I said, only two of the 11 times we were under budget. But if you take those 11 weeks, if you take those 11 collected contributions, do you know what the average of it was? Our budget. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that we gave in excess so many of the other nine weeks that we managed to pick up the slack those two weeks to me that's remarkable because that contribution was collected in the most unorthodox of ways we were able to sit in our homes in our living rooms or dens or wherever you were and sing along with the television screen and listen to the preaching on the television screen and pray along with the leader on the television screen but nobody was passing a, a hat in your house were they I don't think so the only way this church, this congregation, was collecting a contribution was because you were going out of your way to make it happen. Somebody was putting money in an envelope, buying a stamp, which ain't cheap anymore, and mailing it. Or you were driving it up here and handing it to Margaret sometime between Monday and Friday. Or you were signing up to give online as we have online giving. You were doing something that took extra steps. And yet, look, the budget was met. The contribution was done. That's worthy of praise, but I want to ask the question, in that 11-week stretch, were you giving? And I don't mean you, the whole of you, because clearly the whole of you were. I mean you, the individual, you, the family, you, the one who would ordinarily put check-in plate. Were you giving? Or was everybody else having to pick up your slack? What is your attitude toward giving? Is your attitude toward giving bill paying? The church needs the lights on, which I came up here last night and the lights have been off for an hour and a half. And I hurried and scribbled the outline in my Bible just in case that we didn't have power and I can look at the screen to know what my next point was going to be. I was prepared to preach to you in the dark. Even I said that to my wife and she said, well, what are we going to do, worship outside? I said, no, we're going to worship inside in the dark. I'm not going to not preach just because the power's off. We don't have to have the lights on is my point. If your attitude toward contribution is, well, it's the only way that we keep the lights on, we have to pay the bills, that's the wrong attitude. Sure, yes, of course we do, but there is so much more to giving than that. If your attitude toward giving is, is just, these people over here need help, or the community around us needs assistance, or these missionaries need support, and that's the only reason I'm giving, you're missing something there as well. Yes, 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 that's all true too, but there is something more to giving than just that. Giving is an act of of worship giving is between you and God giving is the purest 
form of worship that we have. If you were just to get in your DeLorean and go back in time and grab some random Jew and ask them, what is worship? They are not going to tell you singing praise to God, though they did and it was. They're not going to tell you it was praying to God, though they did and it was. If you ask them, what is worship? They will tell you. It's when I go into my flock and I take my very best lamb. Not the one who's got a leg that's broken. I was going to kill it anyway. No, I take my very best lamb. It's when I go into my garden and I collect my very best crops. I don't take from the pile the bottom of the, the stack that's already broken and crushed. I take from the cream of the crop. I take the top of the, the, the stack. And I take the best of what I have and I give it to God. I take my very best lamb who in that culture you raise closer than a family pet and I'm going to slit its throat and I'm going to lay it on coals and I'm going to burn it up to a God who has no stomach to eat it, who has no actual nostrils to smell it. I am just from a physical constructive standpoint just destroying this thing that from a worldly perspective could have been used for could have had value in, it could have been food, it could have been whatever. Instead, I'm going to burn it up. I'm going to sacrifice something that is mine so that I don't have it anymore to give to a God who doesn't need it, but who simply has asked for it. They would say that's worship. Now you tell me what's the closest equivalent we have in the church of Jesus Christ. It's not when you sing, though you should. It's not when you pray, though you should. It's not when you listen to me, though you should. The closest equivalent we have is when we take our checking account, our bank account, our money, and we make it a little less, and we give that to God, who has no checking account, who has no debit card, who doesn't need our money, but who has asked that we sacrifice as an act of trust and submission toward him. That's worship. And if we don't see that, if we don't get that, if any Christian doesn't get that, that act of worship will suffer. That act of worship will be hindered. I have two points I want to share with you this morning. First of all, I want to give you three reasons why the giving is down. Mind you, the giving is not down here. The giving is good here. But every congregation goes through cycles. Every congregation has this period. Whenever the giving is down, what's the reason? Are there commonalities? Are there factors that you can usually point to? I think there are. I'm going to share three of them with you. Things to look to to avoid, perhaps. Second thing is we're just going to look introspectively, and we're going to ask, what is giving all about? What's my attitude toward giving supposed to be? Two quick points, three each, and then we're done. First of all, giving is down whenever giving is down. In my opinion, as you examine various congregations, you understand what's going on and these problems that they're having and their giving is suffering. What's the reason? One reason is because the contribution, the budget is set toward a has-been attitude. It's a has-been, not a can-be, not a should-be, not a might-be with God's help, not a if God wills then, but rather it's what is a has-been attitude. What I mean by that is it's time to set the budget end of the year, whenever it is, time to set the budget. So we say, all right, what's our budget going to be this year? And this congregation will say, all right, our contribution last year, let's say, was an average of $5,000 a week. So we're going to set our weekly budget at $5,000. Not realizing that what they're doing is they're setting themselves up for a potential panic in six months when a very wealthy, faithful member dies, and suddenly that check's not coming in. And now their average contribution is no longer $5,000. Now it's $47.50 or something. And week after week after week, now they're under budget. And so they think, oh, we got to cut something. 
Time comes next year, where we're gonna set our budget. Well, average now is 47.50, so we gotta shrink our budget. Our budget's gotta be 47.50. And someone else dies, or they lose members to moving away or whatever, and suddenly their budget shrinks, and their budget shrinks, and their budget shrinks. And this congregation just slowly is playing defense. They're playing runaway. They're scared because they're slowly shrinking and dwindling. And there is a clear commonality between dwindling membership, dwindling contribution, and dwindling work of a congregation. Because the attitude is we have to play defense. We're losing members. We're losing money. We've got to shrink our budget. As, as counterproductive as it sounds, the attitude should be let's set a goal budget. Let's set a budget that exceeds what we're currently giving in. And then let's preach proactively. Let's preach encouragingly. Let's preach the positives of giving so that we can meet our budget that is bigger than what we currently can do. Because we have big plans, we have big ambitions, we have things we want to do to serve our community and the world at large around us. Whatever the plan may be, it may be completely unfeasible at the present, but if that's your attitude, you've already been defeated by it. Look at this congregation. We just built a beautiful new fellowship hall. A sucker was not cheap, people, and yet we made it happen because we exceeded what we were bringing in to make it happen. I would like, and I'm sure you would as well, one day to renovate this entire auditorium here. Make it a little bit brighter. Make it a little bit brighter. Whatever we need to do to, to, uh, to accommodate this, this era that we have. I would like to accomplish that. But you know what? It's probably going to cost us a million clams. I don't have that. But I'll bet you if we set a goal and we said let's try and hit that in five years or whatever we set. And we just give a little bit more and we give a little bit more. I bet you we're not going to suffer and starve and die and we will accomplish our goal. Or if we have our three missionaries that we support, and someone comes in and they want extra support, we wouldn't turn them away. But we'd find a way to support them. Even if it means we have to exceed our budget, we'll find a way. We'll, we'll grow our budget. We'll look for what we can do, not what we have done. When Paul wrote to the church at, Cor at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16, that church at Corinth was a congregation like we are, first century equivalent, but like we are. So that means they had their own small little congregational budget. They had to support their local works and support their local activities and so forth. But here comes Paul collecting money from a bunch of congregations because there were saints in Jerusalem who were starving and suffering in the midst of a depression in hard time. So he's gathering up contribution from these other congregations. And he says to Corinth, I'm going to be there eventually. Make sure you have gathered up a special contribution for me to take so that when I get there, you're not scrambling to try to collect the money. In other words, you've got your regular contribution that you take. Take a little extra because I have something new that I need to support. I have something new that you can support, that you can show the Christian fellowship is worldwide by supporting you Gentile Christians in a Jewish community, as radical as that was. So take your regular budget and just grow it a little bit. But we only make so much and we only have so much. Trust the Lord and grow. And so that was Paul's attitude. And I think if more congregations today adopted that attitude, we'd see bigger budgets with a goal growth oriented mindset. And you wouldn't have this play defense, shrink, shrink, shrink until you're just too dead to keep the doors open. That's one. Another reason why when giving is down, that giving is down is because the members are trying to hit a number. They're trying to hit a percentage and never exceed that percentage. They want to hit that percentage and check that box. And they miss the point of giving is to be from the heart. The attitude of giving should be, I have been given to. So necessarily, naturally, I should reciprocate. But if your attitude is, I just need to check this box, I'm going to hit this number like the ancient Jews did, 
But the ancient Jews lived in a physical nation that had a physical economy. They had physical borders. They had a foreign policy. They had governmental leaders. It was a totally different ball game than the church of Jesus Christ. Our attitude is spiritual, not physical. But that old nation, they had certain tithing laws. Tithe, of course, is a 10% giving. But if you study the nation of Israel, there were many times when the law was, under these circumstances, you give 30% of it. Sometimes it was 50% of it. There were different circumstances that required different contributions, but we fixated ourselves on the tithe number. We fixated ourselves on the 10% number. And so no matter what it is, we just give that 10%. And we just check that box. But it would be inappropriate for you to have an attitude of singing. I'm going to sing my three songs and that's it. Song lady wants to sing a fourth one. No, we don't sing four. We sing three before the sermon. He sings four. I won't sing the fourth one. You'd think, well, that's stupid. And yet the attitude toward giving is, I've got my percentage, I'm not going to exceed it. Here's a special circumstance where I could, but I won't because I've hit my number. You wouldn't accept that. Preacher's got to preach 30 minutes, not 31, or I'm walking out. You wouldn't accept that, would you? No, you wouldn't. And yet we do that with giving. I've got my number, I won't exceed it. You see, it's an act of worship. And sometimes God wants a little bit more. So sometimes we give God a little bit more. Why? Because we trust God. So what's the problem? A lot of times, people don't trust God. Oh, I didn't read the verse. Sorry, go back. Um, because giving, yeah. Acts 20, verse 33 through 35, where Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus, and he tells the elders there, I, I am not a person who covets any man's gold or silver or fancy apparel. I'm collecting all this money to distribute and to use. But his enemies were attacking him, saying he was money hungry. He says, that's not been my attitude. My attitude has been to reflect the words of Jesus, how it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when did Jesus say that? Acts 20, 35, that's when he said it. I mean, there was some time in his ministry he said it, but there it is quoted for you. Jesus' attitude reflected by Jesus' people is, it is better to give than to receive. Not give a number, not give a specific percentage, not check a box, but have the attitude of, I have been so blessed, how can I bless others? How can I give toward others? And if that's our attitude, giving will not go down. It will only go up to the benefit of the kingdom at large. Now the third and final point before I close. Why? Why do congregations, when they struggle with giving, struggle with it? And the flat and simple answer is they just don't trust God. And I got two verses to share with you that don't, that don't talk about not trusting God. They talk about the value and the great joy in trusting God. Because it's just an observable empirical fact. There are, there are congregations, there are Christians, there are preachers who don't trust God. And it's reflected in their actions. They don't trust God, so they don't pray to God. They don't trust God, so they don't study God's word, expecting good advice from him. They don't trust God, so they don't give to God. Because when I give to God, that's less money than I have. I am giving that money away. I don't have that money anymore. I could use that money for this and this and this, and I've already got it budgeted and planned out, but now I just don't have that. How am I going to get by without this chunk of my money? It ain't your money. It belongs to God. It's not your house it's not the bank's house, it's not your car, it's not the dealership's car, it belongs to God. Those clothes aren't yours, the air you breathe is not yours, the chicken on your plate is not yours, it belongs to God. The, the, the old Jewish prayer before they would eat, I get criticized by my family because I say the same prayer just about every time. I'll bow, we'll bow our heads for dinner and I'll say, thank you for this food in Jesus' name, amen. It's not the time to talk about your sick uncle when it's time to pray for food. Pray for food, you pray for food. Well, that's a principle from the Jews. When the Jews would pray, they would almost always just say, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. 
This meal on my plate, the vegetables, the meat, the what have you, the, the uh, ice cream in my bowl, it is all belongs to the Lord and the fullness of it that I get to enjoy came from him. Well, the suit on your back, the clothes on your back is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And the car that you drive or the house that you live in, it all belongs to God. And he has blessed it to you. What must you give back to him? Some. Something. What's the song that we sang not too long ago in, in this service today? I gave my life for you. What have you given to me? That you might ransom be. What have you given to me? We don't trust God. Because we think if I get rid of this, it's gone. It's in the ether. It disappears. No, it doesn't. It goes back to the one who gave it. Who will then recycle it and use it for spiritual good. But if we don't have that mentality, we're going to be reticent to let go. And so I would remind that person what Jesus says. First in Matthew chapter 6. And visualize it from the person who's got a wavering hand, pen in hand, over the empty check. And he's about to write a number. And he's hesitant, what am I going to write? It's Sunday morning, I've got to write my check. What am I going to write? And Jesus says, take no thought for tomorrow. What you will eat, what you will drink, or how you'll be clothed. For all of those things do the Gentiles seek. Who are the Gentiles in this context? It's the pagans, it's the idolaters, it's the non-believers, the people who don't have trust in Jehovah. But your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. He is not some fickle, angry, pagan God who wants to see you starve and be naked and destitute. He is a God who, by his nature, takes care of his people. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. So, seek you, you, unlike them, you seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. And all those things, stuff, will be added unto you. Mind you, that stuff is clothing and food, not Nintendo and DVDs, which I don't have anymore, Blu-rays or whatever. But I, I, but I appreciate, I can understand the, the hesitance because, you know, when I was younger, I say that, well, 10 years ago, 10, just 10 years ago, Netflix was all there was. It was $10 a month. It was a golden age. And now there's Netflix and there's Paramount and there's, there's Amazon Prime. There's all these new streaming services that we got to buy them all because we want to watch all the shows. And we look at our budget and it's getting smaller and smaller because we're sending more and more money to these companies who don't even like us. And we think, well, something's got to give. Something's got to give because I got to make ends meet. So what tends to give? God tends to give. And by that I mean we tend to give up. We who have been given by, given to, from God. Something's got to give. I'm going to keep my Netflix, but I'm going to lose God. So I'm going to shrink my, because Netflix price has gone up, so my contribution is going to go down. Netflix has become your God when you do that. Because you're basing everything you have and your trust in Netflix and not in God. Jesus says in Luke 6, 38, as he talks about giving, he says, give to God, and it will be given to you. Now, the liar Joel Osteen, the, the um, uh, prosperity gospel espouser of the devil's lies, he bases texts like that around the idea of God wants you to have the best life on earth that you can ever have. No, now, your life on this earth, when you follow Jesus, will be hard and will be difficult and will be full of frustration and bitterness and pain and maybe even death. Nevertheless, you serve a God who will take care of you. You read that, Matthew 6. So when your sacrificial attitude is to give, that God says it will be given to you. And if you take your basket that holds all your things and you give the top of that to God, then God is going to give back into that basket. Why? Because God wants you to give more. 
So he's going to give to you so you can give more to him. And he will give it so it'll be overflowing. And what do you do when you have an overflowing basket? Well, you have to press it down and shake it and press it and compact it to hold more in. And Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Press down and shaken together, yet roaning over will men pour into your heart. Over and over men will be giving. The Lord, through their providential help, will be giving to you. Why? Because you have this attitude of it's not about me. I will give. And so I will receive. Why? So that I can give more. It's not a scam. I want to get more so I'll give more. No, it's I want to give more. So I will be given more so I can give more. So I will be given more so I can give more. And on and on that cycle goes. But good luck getting people to see that cycle because it takes that first step of faith. And most people just simply don't trust the Lord. Let's, let's bring it now down to the nitty-gritty before we close. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I have just two verses to share with you. Three points from two verses and then we're done. 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6. What is giving all about? Giving is about being willing to give. Because it's called giving, not having. You've got it, but it doesn't belong to you. But listen to what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. And I forgot how it starts, so I'll turn there. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Oh, yeah, there. Yeah, but this I say, that he which sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Simple law of sowing and reaping. If you scatter a few seeds, expect only to receive a small bounty. Scatter many seeds, expect to receive a great bounty. Well, the context here is contribution. The context is your charitable donation. And if you give a little, expect to get a little. And tends to be the ones who give a little and get a little who complain the loudest. Because they wonder, why am I suffering? Why are things hard? Well, what, what's your... What's your giving like? If you sow spare, you'll receive. You'll reap sparingly. You have the attitude of having, 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 not giving, giving, giving. No, it starts with a readiness, willingness to give. Second point, next verse. What is giving all about? It's about planning to give. Because it's called giving, not patronizing. When the hat is passed, you don't have this attitude of, here, God, take your 20. God doesn't need your 20. Here, God, take your golden coin. Be gone. Here's, here's my contribution to the bourgeois for the lowers of below me. No, no, that's not the attitude. You, God doesn't need your money. It's not about God. It's about you and your sacrificial and me and my sacrificial attitude. Don't patronize God thinking, he, okay, here's your money. You owe me one, God. No, that's not how it's supposed to be. Look at the next verse, verse 7. Every man according as he has purposed in his heart, so let him give. Which means you had to sit down and think about how much have I been blessed by God? How much am I going to give back to God? Not have to, not must, but can I give to God? Because I trust that he'll take care of me when I do. And when that's your attitude and you've planned and you've purposed, your contribution will become an act of love and not an act of begrudging, which is the end of the verse, which is the last point. It's about loving to give. Because it's called giving, not losing. You are not, oh, take it, I don't want to look at it. That's not the attitude. But, I mean, it is, but it shouldn't be. Because what does it say? Not grudgingly or of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. You are wasting your breath if you sing when you don't want to sing. You're wasting your time when you listen to me talk and you don't want to hear it. You're wasting your time when the person leading the prayer and you got your eyes closed and you're thinking about whatever you're going to watch on TV later today. You're wasting your time if you just toss a 20 in the plate and it doesn't mean anything to you and you do it out of a sense of obligation and you're bitter because you know how you could spend that money better than God. You're wasting your money. God doesn't want it. God doesn't need it. What God wants is your heart. And when he has it, giving follows. 
I come here this morning not to criticize you, but to praise you. This church, the giving is good, but that's a congregational statement. I don't know each of your individual hearts, but God does. Are you giving as you should? If your relationship with God, if it's going to be as it should be, it's about you and him. So think about yourself, because there is a sea which day by day receives the rippling rills and streams that spring from wells of God and fall from cedared hills. But what it thus, the Sea of Galilee, receives, it gives with glad, unsparing hand. A stream more wide with deeper tide flows on to lower land. And there is another sea which day by day receives that fuller tide. But all its store it keeps, nor gives to shore or sea beside. Its Jordan stream, now turned to brine, lies heavy as molten lead. Its dreadful name does air proclaim that sea is waste and dead. What shall it be for you and me, whom God's good gifts obtain? Shall we accept for self alone or take to give again? For he who once was rich indeed. This is 2 Corinthians 8 9. For he who once was rich indeed laid all his glory down that by his grace this ransom race should share his wealth and crown. 2 Corinthians 8 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might be rich. If that attitude that you hear in him is demonstrated by you, this church will give greater than any congregation ever has, and so will every other congregation. So what's your attitude with Jesus like? What's your relationship with God like this morning? Perhaps it has never even begun. Perhaps you need to become a Christian and finally receive the full benefits of the great gift of Jesus' blood. Be baptized into Jesus to become part of Jesus' spiritual kingdom where the things of this world no longer matter and where you can give back to God for all that he's given to you. And if you are a child of God, you are a Christian, but you've not given as you should, that's between you and God, but make it right today between you and God or whatever your problems may be if you have a need we can help you if we if you need our help let us know how right now as we stand and sing and while I've got you on the phone if you want to subscribe you can do so by going to anchor.fm slash matthew-martin 414 I've got uh, free audio files here and there that I'll release every now and then but for the most part I put everything behind a massive giant paywall where you have to pay upwards of I think it's 99 cents a month so if you can if you can manage that a dollar a month <clears throat> that's you know it's not easy but if you want to whip out a buck then you get hundreds of audio files of all of my sermons and classes and devotionals so it's uh, anchor a-n-c-h-o-r dot f-m slash matthew m-a-t-t-h-e-w dash martin 414 and hit subscribe for a buck and you get all my hundreds and hundreds of audio files. All right, thank you.